welcome to a homegrown family podcast where we grow the produce and the kids. Well, here we are, episode number one. I'm your podcast host, Joe Mettler. And if you've listened to our previous introductory episode, you knew that I mentioned growing up on a farm. And well, my dad also grew up on a farm. And my grandpa, I think, believe also grew up on a farm such ranch. And so today, I want to talk a little bit about my dad and his life, as I think it would be a good idea to learn a little bit of his story, because it kind of leads into my story and what makes my story possible. So we have dad on online here today. Hi, dad. Hello. His name is Randy Mettler. Dad grew up on a farm, and our grandpa, Tom, grew up on a farm also, a ranch over in South Dakota, if I recall. Yeah, uh, it was, I think it was mainly crops, but they did have some sheep and stuff too. Okay, so if I was a farmer, which I currently am not, I'd be a third generation farmer, but I was wondering the other day when I was prepping for this podcast. That would be fourth generation. Or fourth generation. So, but then great-great-grandpa, was he also a farmer? Great-great-grandpa came from Europe. He was in Europe. So we're not really sure what happened over in Europe in our ancestry. No. Okay. So anyway, so we're at least a fourth generation farmer if I was farming. But um, maybe perhaps one day that will happen. Um, definitely some country living is going to happen at some point. So anyways, uh, so we kind of come from a little bit of a line of farmers. And so maybe that's some of the drive for this podcast and our interest in growing things and that type of stuff. So kind of want to get into dad's dad's background here. And so, Dad, you grew up on a farm, but what kind of farm did you grow up on? Well, we had a mixture of livestock. At one point or another, we had sheep, beef. We always had beef, and we always had hogs. And then we had a large number of sheep at one point, about 100, a large number to some people. And then we got in dairying more, and we got rid of the sheep. So the dairying, we just had a small barn, 20, 25 cows. So that would have been, oh, from about from about eighth grade up to when I graduated from high school, I basically ran the dairy. Okay, so, so you had, how many how many beef cows did you guys run? At one point, we had about 100. Okay, and so to kind of put that in perspective, I think I mentioned in the introductory podcast, perhaps that we had like 30 head or um, maybe 60 head at some point, perhaps when I grew up at Dad's Farm. It was about the most we ever ran there. The most we ever had was close to 60, yes. Yeah. Okay. So similar size operation to what I grew up on, because dad did have sheep at one point on our farm as well. How many hogs did you have at a time? Uh, dad had a barn that held 20 farrowing sows. So we probably had 30 to 40 sows. So how many acres do you guys have then for pasture crops? or? Uh, a lot of acres was pasture, a lot of wooded. We probably had about uh, 100 and some acres of cropland. Mostly corn? Probably 30 or 40 acres of corn, rest hay. So then your role was doing the dairy chores, you know, waking up, milking cows, feeding cows. But that, there's a lot more chores to be had, and so you need a lot more people to do those chores. What kind of size family and uh, um, that family dynamic, perhaps, on the farm? Well, your... Um your poor grandmother <laughs> had 
four boys in four years, basically. And then there was a little break, and then a daughter and a and another son shortly after that. So your aunt and uncle Joni and Richard are like five, six years younger than the rest of us boys. Yeah. So dad, dad's number two. Yes. Similar to myself. Um, except for I just had an older sister. He had an older brother. But um, I think I mentioned you mentioned one time that Bernie did a lot more of the hogs, and some of the other brothers may have done some other things. Yeah. Uh, well, Bernie did the hogs pretty much every day. I can't remember if he did it in the evenings, but he always did it in the morning. Dad got to sleep in until Bernie and I graduated, basically. <laughs> So the older two holding down the fort. That sounds familiar. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. Next two brothers, they did their share of work, but they were not in charge of any operation, really. Other, well, I think I think Bill took care of the chickens. There were chickens too. So okay, so pretty much the same type of setup that we currently have is at the farm with Dad, except for a little bit less in number in terms of hogs. You know, Dad usually raises now you know half a dozen for mixing with our venison each fall. He also just, you know, right now milk's only about one or two cows by hand for, for milk for the family. Now that most of us are flowing the coop, actually, Dad and my mom now are just only about a year removed from being empty nesters. So all their, their child labor's gone. <laughs> yeah, I have to do a little more work now. Yeah, not only that, uh, we're also the older siblings, my brother David and I, we tend to give him more work because... We got a little orchard up there. Now it's uh, about, I don't know, is it an acre up there? Uh, it's about two acres. Half apples, maybe half grapes, and a couple of random assortments of uh, fruits. I've done more lawn mowing in the last couple of years than I ever did before that. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep the rows clean. So growing up on the farm, too, what would you say are kind of some of your highlights, or what are some of the things you maybe dislike the most, perhaps rock picking or, you know, bailing small square bales or something like that, or, you know, what, what are the things you actually really liked about the farm also? We are in an area of Minnesota that has a lot of rocks, so <laughs> rock picking was never fun, especially when your brothers would hit you in the head of the rock. But For any listeners that maybe, you know, moving in from the city to maybe trying to start a homestead someplace and find some country property that have no idea what what it means to pick rock. I mean, are we going out there with a five-gallon pail, putting little you know, tennis ball rocks in a pail and walking them over and dumping them? What's the process of picking rocks? Well, nowadays, these bigger farms go out there with bobcats and you know, scoop up rocks in their buckets and put them in a wagon. But that's not the way we did it. One of our hay racks would double as a rock wagon, so about an 8 by 16 rack, and we would have four to six people picking rocks, probably. And we just drive along, do a swap down the field of about 80 feet, turn around, come back, and unload them when they got racked up full. It wasn't wasn't a terrible job. I mean, it was sunny out. It got a little dusty, but there, there was one occasion when we Dad wanted to finish the field and it was raining. Oof. Not my favorite moment. <laughs> yeah. I do remember being on the tractor at Grandpa's farm a couple times. I think Grandpa was teaching me how to, or maybe it was Dad. One of the two, I do remember Grandpa particularly going up there one time, and I couldn't, I was either hitting the clutch of the brake at the wrong time and was bouncing around, or 
accidentally got it in second gear or something. He had to run up there and shift it down for me because I was going too fast or something like that. That I don't know. I don't know how old was I then. Probably 13 or 14. You must have been picking rocks on the uh, field north of the house. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay, because we didn't have the old place then anymore. Yeah, so... Yeah, you mentioned the old place, I guess. So you guys, you and Bernie, being the oldest and second oldest, you guys were born in South Dakota, right? Yes, we were born in South Dakota. But then great-grandpa uh, went to South Dakota, did some farming, and then... Your great-grandpa was in South Dakota. On your grandma's side, they were, they were in Iowa. Did she originate from farmers, too? Um, no, I guess not. They did, they had some horses, but other than that, no. Okay. So, great-grandpa and Grandpa Tom were in South Dakota, and you and Bernie were born in, in South Dakota, then moved up to Minnesota, or was there a couple more born in South Dakota? No, Bob was born here. Okay. The family moved over to central Minnesota, had a, a property and house there, and then... You guys ended up moving just down the road a little farther. Can you kind of go through that process there? Like, what happened that you guys ended up moving to two different spots that great close by and stuff? Over the years, Dad picked up more land, and the other land had a home site on it. And when I graduated from high school, it was in the 80s, right? And that was when the interest rates were double-digit interest rates. And all he could do, basically, was the interest with his cropping and, and uh, livestock and stuff. He wasn't making any progress. Oh. So while I was at college, he ended up selling the original land. And my brother Bernie had built on the other home site. And he kind of, when he sold the other place, kind of told Bernie to go find something else. You can only really hold so many families on the same piece of farming ground. Yeah. Yeah, so then uh, you mentioned horses here earlier, too. You guys had some horses growing up at the farm, right? Well, with with, with hunting beef cattle, you kind of need a couple horses, yes. Dad's probably one of the, I wouldn't say one of the last generations, because there's definitely people out there in western North Dakota and Nebraska that probably use horses for helping herd up cattle and things like that. Most times, I feel like these days, you have people driving around their four-wheelers to round up their cows and, and their cattle that way, but Dad used his... Yeah, riding back on horse for helping get the cattle around and moving them from one pasture to another. He uh, never lost that uh, affection for horses, though, because I think we've always had well, at least one horse at the farm. <laughs> Almost always, yeah. Um, then we're looking at, we have Grandpa over at the, what I grew up knowing as Grandpa's house. And then Bernie and, and Dad were out, out of the house. And so tell me, Dad, a little bit about your story about what happened after you, I guess you left the farm also. Well, you know, I knew that things weren't going financially really well on the farm, so I, I went to college, um, but they weren't able to afford to pay for me to go to college. So I came up with a way to get to go to college without having to pay. It was accepted in the Air Force Academy, Colorado Springs. And I went there for about three months. And if you don't know what the Air Force Academy is about, you go to college every four years, and then you have, if you're a pilot, you end up with a six-year commitment after that. So you have 10 years into the military. And then if you have 20 years in the military, you get a pension of 50% of your salary. So I was thinking I might, I was thinking 10 originally, and I'm thinking, oh, I'll go 20 years, and then I can buy myself a farm and farm. 
Well, I was at the academy, and I had a couple motivating factors. One, my my high school sweetheart was slipping away a little bit, and uh, I'm sitting in the uh, library at at the academy, and I look at the books in the shelf where I'm sitting, and they're college directories. And I pull out the one for North Dakota State University, look up and see how much it's cost. And I said, I can afford this. So I left the academy, came back and asked Margaret to marry me, but she didn't answer right away. <laughs> I don't know if I knew that. <laughs> That's currently my mom, is Margaret, so it all panned out. But <laughs> so yeah, dad, dad moved away from the Air Force Academy, came back to North Dakota State University, and pursued a degree in agricultural economics with an emphasis on finance because I wanted to be able to avoid some of the stuff my dad was going through. Sure, that makes sense. So then you go there for a four-year degree. And if I remember right, mom was over in Fargo working. I can't remember what the hospital is, but she was working as a nurse there. She didn't come to Fargo until after we were married, though. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I got married during college. That was what, back in 86, 87? 85 is when we got married. 85 is when you got married, okay. And then, uh, how'd you end up back home? Because right now, right now, Dad's farm resides, you know, 20 miles to the south of Grandpa's farm. So, how did, how'd you end up back in central Minnesota? How'd that come to be? Well, I had a couple of internships during college. I went out to Billings and I worked for the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation one summer. Next summer, when I was married already, I worked for the Ag Statistics Service, the National Ag Statistics Service in Fargo. And they offered me a job after graduation, but the, there's offices all over the country, you know, in each state. And so when I did the application, for a job with them, they had you mark off the states you didn't want to be considered for. And with this job, if you get promoted to this job, you end up going to different states usually. Anyway, I left a couple that were quite a ways away from Minnesota. Kind of a test. <laughs> and they offered me a position in a place that was a long ways from Minnesota. I believe it was, it was either South Carolina or Texas. I can't remember for sure. And at that same time, Margaret's brother was working farming on her parents' place where they grew up. A place just over the hill was had been foreclosed upon and it was available for buying. So the guy that was was actually dairying here at the time couldn't come up with the financing to buy it, so we were able to. So we were actually less than a mile away from where your mom grew up and we're only seven miles away from where I grew up to the north. Okay, not quite 20 miles then. No, not quite 20 miles. <laughs> Seems like a long drive when you're a little kid. <laughs> long drive on a tractor with a loader. Yeah, yeah. So every once in a while, Dad helps farm and stuff over at Grandpa when he was getting up in, up in age. So, um, and even now currently, I guess he does do some hay ground over there and haul bales back and forth on a tractor. So, but yeah, so, yeah, our farm, say our farm, Dad's farm, you know, yeah, like he mentioned is one mile away from where my mom grew up. I didn't realize that you had gotten the, the farm through a foreclosure situation, but I guess given the financial issues that maybe Grandpa was having, yeah. kind of kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah. 
So when you had when you had purchased that foreclosed farm as a dairy, did you basically get all the equipment with it and the dairy cows come with it, or is it all just starting from scratch? Started from scratch. I bought a tractor on an auction over by Fort Ripley and drove it home. That was my first tractor. What was and your first tractor? Um, Massey 265, I think it was. About a 60, 70 horse tractor with a loader. And one of the other first tractors I have, I still have, the 806 International. Okay. And we bought 20 heifers from way out by Bismarck, North Dakota. We started our dairy herd with 20 heifers. Wow. A little ambitious. A little, little ambitious, yeah. But then, so you, I mean, you had the barn was there, so there was some, the milk room was there. So there was oh, some yeah. All that the basic infrastructure. Yeah. So when I say starting from scratch, it wasn't completely from scratch, but I mean, he had no herd. Uh, all the farms, probably equipment went up for, up for auction. So all he had left was the, the nuts and bolts of, you know, the milking parlor and the system there. So, so dad started farming dairy cows. And so right away you had what was it? 240 acres or so with that. 260, yes. 260 acres. Um, and most of that was pasture. It's maybe a split between half pasture, half wooded. Half cropland, half woods, basically. Yeah, yeah, right. And the pasture could be either used for a, for a hay ground or a, for crops, too. But early on, did you do much cropping, or was it mostly just pasture? The only pasture we had was these little yards up by the house here. That's the only pasture there was. Everything else is crops. Okay. Yeah, so then he started doing that. Shortly afterwards, I suppose, then my sister was born. When did you have the farm compared to when my sister was first born? One year later, she was born. Yes, my dad bought the farm. When a year later, my sister was born. And then about 15 months after that, I was born. And dad's doing the dairy. And I think by the age of four or five or six, what one of those younger ages, um, I don't really remember it, but maybe slightly, because as I was told, I fell in the gutter a time or two and I don't know, maybe that prompted them to switch over to beef, but we did start in the dairy, and then, yeah, how'd, how'd that process go? And then that might kind of lead us up into something else. Let's see. In 1995, I started the post office, so we've been on the farm for about eight years. And I was about six. And yeah. about two years prior to that, right around that, I started decreasing the number of cows we had, and did more grazing. That's why you remembered more pasture. Ah. Because some of the cropland I made put into grazing instead. Gotcha. So, I was renting slippers when I had all the cows, 50-some dairy cows, and Joe would talk to me about possibly buying it a couple times. Yeah, so Joe Slipka's the neighbor to the west of us that had 230 acres. Um, the dad was renting out pasture with the, with the dairy cows. But anyway, uh, Started working at the post office, sold the cows, then I bought the land. So I think we're at total. Dad has now currently like 460 acres. Yeah. And um, raised up most of the kids while that was present. I think I was closer to 10, I think, when Dad actually bought the place, maybe. You're eight to nine. Hey, but we were probably about eight. The kicker, basically, on us stopping the dairy and deciding to go with postal is something you did. But it wasn't a wasn't a gutter. Oh, <laughs> okay. I'm sure you've heard this story. I may have not, but so this could be the first time. <laughs> well, I was running a 50 cow dairy pretty much by myself because your mom was busy with the kids. 
I would go chop a load of hay, bring it back, and blow it up in the silo. And one day I had blown a load of hay up in the silo, which is great feed for dairy cattle, by the way, in case anybody wonders. And rather than shut the tractor down, you just idle it down. So it can still, it will be ready to go when you come back with the next load. I come back with the next load, and my tractor was running full bore. And I'm looking for pieces of Joe. Where I found him in one piece, thankfully. I was afraid you'd went up the silo. Actually, that's probably kind of a scary couple minutes there. <laughs> yeah. I went and found your mom, found out where you were. <laughs> so, hearing the news all the time about, you know, farmers getting in grain bins and falling in and suffocating and other family members trying to go in and save them and it happens the same way. The farm living is not a, it's not a safe, safe environment, you know, comparatively to maybe just living in town, but I guess you do have a lot more streets, a lot, a lot of cars that come by right next to your house and your kid could run out into the street, but there's definitely a lot of, a lot of, uh, risks that come along with it, but a lot of reward too, because you oftentimes you're let free to roam, right? You're left to explore the, the creek, you know, the woods down by the pasture and you're able to build forts and maybe use your imagination more so than, than those who may grow up in the city and, and whatnot. So that kind of leaves us to where, where the, this podcast is going to go next is, you know, my life as a child, as a kid, with my siblings. Um, I did want to ask you one more question, Dad. And what was your probably one of the favorite things growing up on the farm with Grandpa there and your siblings? We had a lot of woods, so we spent a lot of time out hunting squirrels and stuff like that. I would wander around on a Sunday all afternoon with a twenty-two looking for squirrels. So that was always fun. It was during season two, I bet. <laughs> Is there a season for squirrels? I think technically there might be. <laughs> well. Well, there is the, uh, when Dad did artificial breeding, well, actually, he didn't do it. Somebody else did it. He had to text them out. When, when my dad was doing artificial breeding, it was early in the, in the adoption of that in the dairy business, or the beef business. And you could, you could either give hormones to a steer and put a tin ball marked on him, a harness with a, like a, like a ball pen, except for a bunch bigger, mm-hmm. with a little roller on it, so the ink would go on the cow's back when you rolled the cow. You give hormones to a steer, or you could block the bull's ability to impregnate the cow. And we did the latter, which ended up wrecking a couple bulls. But the, the process was, we would get up in the morning. This was, would have been probably before, well, we probably had milk cows at that time, too. So we do milk cows, then we saddle up the horses, take the horses a mile down the road to the pasture, go out in the pasture with the horses, check the cows, and if any cows were marked, we brought all 100 cows into the corral, which was sometimes a great feat, and then sort out the ones that needed bread, call the technician, and have them out and read them. So dad didn't breed his own cows. He had a technician come out. Yeah. So, yeah, so that marker on the steer or was it ability to kind of wean out which ones perhaps had been bred and which ones perhaps did not. 
the marker was the color tones were heat deceptive to being red. Then the vet tacker that would come out. They come out freedom that day. While they're in heat still. Yeah. So how's that differ from where it's kind of today? Well, today a lot of people, the lead people that use artificial insemination, give shots to the cows, not the bull, and time the breeding. So they cause the cow to come and heat and breed her at a certain point. When we were there, you watch the cows when they were out on the exercise yard to see if they were heat, if they were letting anybody ride them. But then nowadays, almost all the beef, they just do synchronized breeding. I would say 100, nearly 100% of the people that use artificial breeding do synchronized breeding. Yeah. It's crazy, you know, that where, where farming has gone just from, you know, my dad's generation to would be my generation, but even more so from my grandpa's generation to my generation, just in terms of the industrialization of, of farming and the amount of, you know, headers went from combine headers, you know, went from like, I don't know, 12, 15 feet to 60 feet, 90 feet wide. And then now your, your cultivation equipment was, you know, 12 feet wide. Now you got, you know, sprayers too that are like 60 feet, 90 feet wide, 120 feet wide, way bigger equipment than what you had back then. And consequently, you almost have smaller farms than what you did back then. So to some degree, smaller number pod, of farmers. Yeah, smaller number of farmers, larger farms, um, typically in order to make ends meet, probably. I guess what I'm getting at is that in a way, um, the kind of farm that my grandpa was, you know, with having, you know, hogs, dairy, beef, chickens, some sheep. My dad, you know, had a lot of the same. Those two farms were basically self-sustaining in their own right. You know, they all, I'm sure they both had vegetable gardens, you know, so basically they had all they could use or need to self-sustain themselves without having to go to the store if they didn't need to. And so in this in this day and age now, farmers are very specialized. If they're a dairy farm, all they pretty much have is dairy. They might have some beef cows on the side too, but you oftentimes won't see them with more than two species or three species of, you know, maybe they have a chicken coop on top of it too, but they won't have the hogs and the sheep and other things, um, or they're grain farmers, and all they do is corn and soybeans and mix in a little bit of wheat here and there. And the type of farmer that my parents were and my grandparents were is kind of a dying breed. And I think I'll leave the leave the podcast at that. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to email me at homegrownfam at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at a homegrownfam. Um, if you have any questions from my dad, I'm sure he'd love to answer a little bit more about this lost art of farming multiple things we call it permaculture these days in a special terminology but um if you have any questions for dad we'd love to have him back and uh kind of just talk a little bit more about you know some of these things that maybe you don't see very often these days anymore all right thanks for listening